Romans chapter 13. If you don't have a Bible, go ahead and slip up your hand and keep it raised really high. Uh, we, are, we are going to look at this last section of Romans chapter 13 together. If you don't own a Bible, please keep the one that we're handing out so that you can have a copy of God's Word. It is our gift to you um, as we walk through this. Here, here's what I'm able to do for, for this morning is that Paul um, kind of shifts gears in the middle of this text. And so, so far, for the last maybe nine, ten weeks, we've been talking about love and how love looks like and what love looks like when it's fleshed out. And how we love one another, how we love people who are our enemies, and how we, how we are able to submit to the government. And that was something we were challenged with last week in love for uh, governing authorities. What Paul does here, just to kind of give you a breakdown, is first he shows us um, love and relationship to others. And we'll look at that. And then after that, it's love and relationship to eternity. And I want to spend some time on that. And we'll get some time when we get there. And lastly, it's love and relationship to godliness. And so if you see the kind of way he's threatening is, it's love your neighbor with the love that you've received from God. And then the love that you receive from God, long for the moment in which he comes in and begins to restore all things. And then what we ought to do in, in living in love now. And what Paul gives for us is a, is a desire to live in love for godliness. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. But before we, before we do this, would you guys just kind of pray with me? Calm our hearts. Ask the Holy Spirit to, to bless and anoint our time. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you. We thank you for everything of who you are and everything of what you do. And God, I ask this even this morning, Father, that we would be able to see you clearly. There's things in this text, Lord, that are, that are challenging personally, Lord, to us in our hearts. There, there are things in this text, Lord, that we could easily gloss over. And so, Lord, help us to not miss whatever you have for us, Lord, Help us to see the good news of your son, Jesus. May the name of Christ and the reign of Christ and the glory of Christ, Lord, reign over us. May the Holy Spirit illuminate the word, God, that we may walk in faithfulness with you. Help us to understand the love that has been poured in our hearts, Lord, towards others, understanding eternity and a desire for godliness, Lord. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to jump right into it. So the first point right here is love and relationship to others. And if you start with me here in Romans chapter 8, here's what Paul says. Romans chapter 8, excuse me, Romans chapter 13, verse 8. He says, owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Let me pause there for a second because here's what Paul was doing. If you could remember from last week, last week we ended with the application of loving uh, and submitting to governing authorities is that we were to pay taxes to those who we owe taxes to, pay revenue to those who we owe revenue to, and honor to whom honor, and respect to respect. And there was this ideal of this is what you owe to these people. Well, Paul right now in verse 8 uses that same word owe, and he starts off saying, owe no one anything. And I, I want to pause there for a second because many of us have taken some sort of financial classes at some point, um, Christian classes, and this has been like the sole proof text that says um, people will use, I believe, out of context and say God, does, God doesn't want anyone ever to be in debt, and if you're ever in any sort of debt, God hates you and you're going to hell, right? And you read that and you go, that stinks, right? That's not what Paul is talking about here. What Paul, Paul is not saying that a Christian cannot incur debt, However, he has been alluding to that if we do, we are to pay it off in the terms of contract that we've agreed to. But what Paul is doing is he's transitioning, saying the same way that we owed people things that we should pay things off, he says this, owe no one nothing or anything except to love each other. He's saying there's one particular debt that you should never get out of, and that is the debt of love. But there's an obligation to continue to love people to love others. And, And he's saying here's the capital that you receive from that. 
you have been given the love of God. That if you are a follower of Jesus, Paul says this, and we've been, we've been talking about this for weeks, is that the love of God has been poured into your hearts. And the same love that's been poured in your heart now that we are to be conduits of this particular love towards others. So when it comes to our bills, when it comes to debt, when it comes to school loans, when it comes to whatever it is, pay those things off. But when it comes to love, constantly be indebted to that. Here's what I mean. There's a, there's a feeling that you get. If you've ever paid off anything, you, you know that feeling. If, if you've ever had a credit card debt that you have, even if you just pay your payment, you know that feeling that it's done. And some of you who've been in debt before uh, or have credit card people chasing after you, you know that feeling. And I know there's only like a few of us in here who's ever had that, right? And so when my wife and I were getting engaged, she was like, you know, I'm not going to marry you until you get out of debt. And here's the deal. I was in dumb debt. When I say dumb debt, like I used a credit card and didn't pay it back. That's dumb, right? And so I didn't have school loans, I had a scholarship, so don't have to worry about that. But I was so into um, buying stuff because I was being discipled by 50 Cent at the time. And so it was all about, you know, Air Force Ones, I need two per, per, right? I mean, just I, I, need, I needed all of that. So I had it. I had more hats and shoes than anybody else. I was stunting. Well, I was broke too, right? And so when, and I, you know, I just, just, this is, this is just me before Jesus, and I'm just being transparent before you. I wasn't, I wasn't paying these bills off. And so, you know, the people, they start calling you and stuff, and it's like, no, 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 he no here, right? You know, it's like, he doesn't live here anymore, right? Well, when I became a Christian, I started paying that off, like, very, very short. I mean, just like, you know, not the max, and my wife, or my girlfriend slash fiance at the time was like, this ain't happening. You know, I ain't gonna marry you if you ain't, you know, that type of stuff, right? And so, had to get out of debt. It was the f- most freeing thing when I paid that last bill, and I was like, I am free. And it wasn't anything crazy, but enough for me to go, I'm free. Like, it felt really good to not be in debt anymore. Like, it, like I, don't have to, I don't have to lie anymore. I don't have to tell these people I don't live here. Um, yes, this is Ricardo. You're speaking with him, right? Like, it's that, like that freedom of going, these people won't contact me. I don't need to know these people anymore. Paul's saying, that's not the way it's supposed to be when it comes to love. Like, you should never get to a point where you feel like you've, you've loved enough. Like, you never get to a point where you I've loved that person too much. Now, there's moments where you need distance, and there's moments where reconciliation in itself is not, you need to be right with that person, and you need to be in close relationship and proximity. I'm not saying that, but there never comes a moment where you're going, I've loved enough. That just can't happen. And the reason for that is now our, we are indebted to God and this love that he's given us. And this is a good debt. Like, you've heard people talk about what's good debt. This is the best debt is that we've been so loved by God and so um, cared for by God that now we were able to love others. And Paul is saying, here's what love looks like in relationship with others. We've talked about it for a while. But he begins to add something in here that I think is impressive, and that is this love that we begin to do is actually fulfilling the law. That's what he says in verse 9. For the commandments, or excuse me, continue, he says, love one another for the one who loves Another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you should not commit adultery, you should not murder, you should not steal, you should not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Paul, Paul's saying, when it comes to love and relationship with others, is that the law, which he brings up again, which he hasn't talked about for several chapters, this law, which previously he said that we could never attain, that the law was never meant to save you, The law was never meant to justify you, but the law in itself was God's perfect way of how we should live and how we could not live up to that. And in understanding the law, we would realize we need a Savior, and Jesus becomes our Savior. 
Well, then now Paul says, when you love now, like your Savior has loved you, you are now fulfilling the law. And he's not saying that you're able to live up to the law. What he's talking about here is what happens when there's a gospel transaction in your life. You, you don't owe anybody else anything else except for love because there has been something that has been given to you. There, there's been this transaction that has happened that you had zero um, righteousness, that you were bankrupt when it came to a relationship with God, and then what Jesus did is he gave you his righteousness, that your record in itself is full, that he's poured out by the Holy Spirit his love into our hearts. And so Paul is not saying as we love and obey that we are now making ourselves righteous. No, that's not what he's saying. He's not saying as we love, as we obey, that we are justifying ourselves. He's not saying that. What he's saying is the free gift of grace is that God's love has been poured into our empty cups called life. And now that this love is, is in us, it's transforming us. And the love that he's talking about here is a response to the love in which he's given us that we're able to love God because he first loved us. And in loving God, we're able to love our neighbor and care for our neighbor. And so love and relationship with the neighbor, we live the law that the law and many of the laws that he has here, the essence of it he's saying is love. And it's loving God and it's loving your neighbor. That's exactly what Jesus said. When Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandments? He goes, you know. And he's speaking to a man who's Jewish and he says, you know. It's love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, body, soul, and strength, everything you have. And the second is like it, he says, love your neighbor. And when he says the second is like it, he's not saying it's close second. He's saying they're together. The way that you show love for God, your response to his love is by tangibly loving the people around you and caring for them. And then Paul quotes here from the Exodus. And if, you don't, if you've never read the Exodus, the, there's, there's a, a moment in the Exodus, in the book of Exodus, where, where Moses comes down from Mount Sinai after meeting with God. And he walks down with these two pillars. And then the pillars are what is known as the Ten Commandments. And on one pillar, as people say, that's the vertical pillars. That's how we are supposed to be right with God. And there's commands like, you should not have another God before him. You should worship no other gods. That's our relationship with God. And on the other pillar, people would say, those are the relational or those are the horizontal um, commandments. And that's what Paul has here. And he says, this is how you love your neighbor. He says, you know what? You shouldn't um, commit adultery. You should murder. You shouldn't steal. You should not covet. And he, and he says this, um, this all these things are summed up with love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 10, love does no, does no wrong for a neighbor, therefore love is fulfilling the law. And what Paul uses these, these, these uh, commandments here, I believe, because all these things proscribe harm towards your neighbor. I mean, they forbid harm towards your neighbor, to care for your neighbor. I mean, let's not over-spiritualize this. This is pretty practical here. So think about this in, in loving your neighbor. Um, I don't think your neighbor would want you to sleep with his wife or vice versa, Right? Okay. Right. I was thinking, okay, we need to back up. I should slow down. I was going to spend some time on eternity, but clearly well, there's some. <laughs> yeah, you guys have been just, dis- never mind. Um, uh, all right, we're going to keep going here. Um, right, your neighbor wouldn't like that. We agree with that. Your, your neighbor wouldn't want you to murder them. Um, your neighbor wouldn't want you to steal from them. You should not covet all of these things, right? And, and your neighbor wouldn't want these things. He's saying, don't do that. Don't steal what they have. And, and many of us, we know what it's like to be robbed. If you've lived in Tempe for longer than three years, you've been robbed, right? The, the reality of it is either your bike's been robbed. The last week, a case, we left a case of water out for like an hour before we tried to bring it in. I walked back out. The Dasani water is gone, right? Um, we've, we've had moments where a house in Tempe where we came home, and, and in the middle of the day, 
They robbed us. The TV was in the front driveway. They, they, didn't, they just couldn't get, they couldn't have, you know, they didn't have room for the TV, I guess. And I thought that was God saying, not everything, right? <laughs> Bless the young man. So you, you know what that's like. You know what it's like to have these things. And then there's that word covet. And, and covet is not loving for your neighbor because you're not thinking about your neighbor when you're coveting. You're thinking about yourself. You're looking at what they have and you're saying, I want that. Yet you're not saying, I love them. I want what they have. I want their lifestyle. And when it comes to, just as a side, when it comes to the debt that we have in, in our own lives, in this own room, a lot of the debt that we have is we don't know what it's like to live below our means. Even though as people, those of us who follow Christ, we should be the best at living below our means because we understand grace. We understand what we have in Jesus. We understand what it means to be generous, to give ourselves to others. But instead, because of this covetous life, we look at people's lives and we go, I want what they had. One of the best lines I'd ever heard from this pulpit was when Justin Anderson was preaching here. He said this line, and I thought, gosh, that's true. He said, the problem with our generation is that we want to start off living financially where our parents are at now. All the parents just said, yes. I mean, the reality, I, 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 just, I just, I wrote that down. Like, that is so true. It's like, I want that now. And it's like, below your means. Below your means. And, I, and your, your means is different than my means, and mine is different than yours and your neighbor's. It's not saying that there needs to be this, this level. It's just going, whatever that is for you, you have to live below that. But the issue that, that shows us something to be true is we covet. We want what somebody else has. We want their trips. We want their vacation homes. We, we run a circle, and, and, um, and when we talk about the text we're going to teach, and we're saying, okay, where does this look at in your life? And I said, for me, when I know that if I'm coveting, I know what I want. And if I'm looking to it, and I, I want a vacation home in San Diego. And, and, and there's, I mean, I mean, I know who doesn't. Um, and, and I'm not saying that so you can get me one. <laughs> I'd love to be able to take my family, but that's not, that's not going to happen, and that's okay. It's, I'm, not, I'm not missing out. Oh, you're missing. I'm not missing out. I have so, I'm so much. We covet. And when we do that, we're not loving our neighbor. We want stuff from our neighbors. We want the life that we have from our neighbors. And Paul goes, eh, we shouldn't do that. We should love one another. And he says, when you're loving, you're actually fulfilling the law. The love and relationship to others is going, how can I serve you? How can I bless you? How can I care for you? How can I care for your marriage? How can I care for your life? How can I care for your possessions? How can I say I'm so thankful? How can I be thankful for you? It's just like when we talked about um, earlier, uh, a couple weeks ago, that to rejoice with those who rejoice. We said we don't really rejoice with those who rejoice. We, we rejoice with those people who get things that we already have. But when it comes to people getting things that we don't have, we don't rejoice. Right? We, 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 we begin we just we get, become jealous, if anything, which Paul does that. So the first thing he says here is don't owe anyone anything except to love each other. That's the imperative here, to love one another. And when you are loving one another and you are thinking about the other and not yourself, when you're loving God because he first loved you and you're thinking about the other, you are fulfilling the law. You are living like a Christian. You are living in light of the way that God has loved us. Amen? So love and relationship to others. The second point that Paul has here, and we'll spend some time on this, is love and relationship to eternity. Love and relationship to eternity. Now, every time I prepare for a sermon, there's usually one or two things that just jump out to me. And usually because of just excitement, um, usually because of just motivation, and then oftentimes because of just conviction. I'd like to tell you that everything that I preach, that, man, I've mastered. If I did that, I'd be lying or I'd be Jesus right? Which, yeah. So this right here is what Paul begins to talk about when he, and he transitions here from talking about others to almost talking about this perspective. 
of how do you love in light of the fact that Jesus is going to return? Um, here's what he says in verse 11. He says, besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake up from your sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. Paul, Paul is looking here, and he's talking to Christians. Now, oftentimes when we begin to talk about eternity, we, we think of people who don't follow Jesus. We think about people who would say they're not Christians. And I'm sure there's plenty of you in this room who would say that you're not Christians. And maybe you've heard something like this from a Christian. Do you know where you would go if you died tonight? Um, do you know where your eternal salvation is? And we have those conversations and, and, and we say, because there's heaven and there's hell. And if you love Jesus and you know that he's loved you and he's got a wonderful plan for your life. And we, we, we kind of ask those questions to people who don't know Jesus. What I think is interesting here is Paul's going, I'm talking to Christians. Do you know? Like, like when was the last time you spent time meditating on living a life with Jesus for all eternity? Like, when was the last time that, that you just took some amount of time and said, I'm going to meditate on heaven and what God's going to do when he, renew this, when he renews this world? What is he going to do? I'm going to spend some time on that. And the reason why this convicted, convicted me is I don't spend a whole lot of time thinking about that. I believe in heaven. I believe that, that it's for real. Um, I, I believe all of those things. I believe that, that Jesus is going to come rescue and renew all things because I, I, I read the Bible and I trust that. And I, I trust and I know that. But does my life today reflect what I know to be true about what's happening? Here's what Paul is saying here. He says, you know the time. And, and essentially, he's talking about the hour being at hand. Um, what Paul, in Paul's day, they didn't have electricity and things that we have. And so when, when, when he talks about day, oftentimes, day meant in the daytime is when you had to get to work. Because whatever was going to get done and, and work was going to happen during the daytime. And so there was a sense of urgency. If you were someone who slept in, you, you would be considered lazy. Now, Paul's not talking about sleeping in or not sleeping in, although I wish he was. I, we'd preach a message on that later. But he, he's, he's talking about metaphorically, like, what does it look like to live in the day in light? What does it look like to live in light of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done and what Jesus will do? And then he says this phrase here. I'm continuing in verse 12. He says this, for, um, So the hour has come for you to wake up from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. And here's what Paul is talking about. Um, when, it, when we talk about the word salvation, there's three tenses in salvation. There's past tense, that is, we've been saved, and Paul uses that in his language. And that is, that, that was Romans 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5, that we were all sinners, and that Christ himself came and he died for us for our sins. And that he gave himself as a ransom for us. And so past, present, and future sins, sins that we've committed, sins we're committing, sins that we would commit, he's already paid the price for. That he's died for us, but he's also lived for us. And so there's a righteousness of which we did not have um, that we have now called the foreign righteousness, of which we can stand before God and will know that we will stand before God. That's something that has happened, and it's past tense. We've been saved. If you've heard that language, we've been saved. We've been justified. We've been made right. And then Paul also uses the language, we are being saved. And being, being saved is its present tense. And so it's this it's theological word of sanctification. All that is is the progressive work of which God is making you look more and more like Jesus. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. And I want to highlight progressive, meaning it doesn't happen overnight. It happens over a lifetime. It happens through experiences. It happens through repentance and faith. It happens through whatever God actively causes or allows in your life in order for you to respond in faith and truth of the gospel to look more and more like him. That when he looks at us, we should start beginning to look more and more like him. It's like the modern poet um, Sean Carter says, uh, a.k.a. Jay-Z. He says, 
game, recognize game, and you're looking familiar. You guys don't know that vernacular. So what he's saying in that is Jesus should look at our life and look at us and go, we're looking really familiar. That's, we are being saved. That is not just by our effort. That is our response ultimately to the Holy Spirit's work in our life. And then there's this future tense. The future tense is that salvation is not complete. That none of us are complete. We, we, uh, we used to sing this song in the church I grew up, please be patient with me, God is not through with me yet. When God is through with me, I will come forth. And it was, I used to just be, I loved it. Just please be patient with me, God is not through with me yet. The reality of it is God is not through with you yet. And when Paul talks about that salvation is nearer, he's not just talking about your individual salvation. He's not talking about that we're going to die soon. He's talking about the imminent return of Christ. That Paul didn't know the day and he didn't know the hour, but he knew that it could happen at any moment. Jesus talked about it happening at any moment. Jesus talked about, about being able to be ready. And so what does a life look like that's ready and looking forward to Jesus to come home, to restore all things and renew all things? Um, this, this should bring hope to those of us who suffer. Those of us who suffer, there are people in this congregation, and including younger people in this congregation, that suffer from physical, physical pain that they barely can get out of the bed, if at all, daily, that that should bring comfort that one day, salvation, this historic event in which God will renew all things and we will have glorified bodies and we will walk with Jesus because that day is coming. Um, this, this means that those of us who have besetting sin, those of us, all of us who have besetting sins, things that we have that we wish we could get out of our lives, that we've tried and we've tried and we've paid money and money and we've gotten software and software and we still have these issues in our life, that God says, I'm going to remove that, that you won't even have the propensity, you won't even have the desire, you won't even have the ability to be able to sin anymore. Do we look for that day? For those of us who have a hard time understanding that our faith is tangible, right? There are moments where we feel like, as Christians, that our faith is tangible. My belief in Jesus is real, like the Spirit is at work in my life. And you know what? There's many moments where we go, I'm not, it's not very tangible. I'm going to believe it, but it's not very tangible. There's not a person in this room that follows Jesus that doesn't have doubts. And that won't have doubts again. Whether you look at the Scripture and you see what it says, and there's a doubt of, man, is this true? You know why? All of us are afraid to die, <laughs> We're all afraid to die. Even though we know when I die, I'll pass into glory and I'll see Jesus, but I'm not trying to die now. There, there, there's, there's still, there's doubts there, but not then and that day. Because you know why? We'll see him face to face. When's the last time we thought about that? When's the last time the love of God in which we receive now, that we've been saved and the Spirit is saving us, that we begin to look and go, I can't wait for that day. And not in an escapist mentality just to get rid of this life, but in a way to see the one who at infinite cost to himself gave himself to me, to be able to see God, to be able to walk in the cool of the day, and to be able to know God, to be able to talk with God. You know what it's like to pray? And you pray sometimes, and, and you feel weird, especially when you pray out loud, because you're like, I feel like I'm talking to myself, God. Okay, you didn't answer, so I still feel like I'm talking to myself, right? That day that you could just talk with God and know God, that, that, that he takes every tear, as Revelation says, every tear from our eyes, like everything that we've ever cried, it's like God just kind of like saved it and said, listen, I've been saving every tear that you've ever had, and you know what? I'm going to wipe it away. I'm going to wipe it away. Not that you're not going to remember it. I'm going to wipe it away. That everything that's been wrong, I'm, I'm going to make new. I'm going to make all things new. Paul, Paul says, what type of lives are we to live and we have love in light of eternity? To, to think about those things. And hear me, I think this is just a wake up. A wake up for us. 
And in some cases, no matter where you are in your journey with Jesus, maybe, maybe it's you're, you're a Christian and there was a moment in your life where, where you were in a vibrant relationship with Jesus and you remember that moment and you talk about that moment and that, those moments and that season was really good, but somehow you've grown distant from God and you know what? He doesn't feel as present. And we've all gone through that. Maybe it's just a season now, but for you, maybe it's been a lifestyle. And maybe it's something you're going, I just not as real to me. I've grown up with it. I've been in church my whole life. I don't know any better. I don't, I don't know what it's like to have a, a, a desire for him. And many of you who've grown up in church, you've had that experience. Like, I wish I had a testimony like such and such. Man, she was a mess. And then God saved her. That would be awesome. She was a loser. She was worthless. And then God saved her. It's like, you want, what? Why are you digging on this girl, right? But the reality of it is I've heard many of you say that. I wish I had that. Then I would know God's grace. All that communicates is you think that you're not as sinful as the next person. That somehow Jesus' blood, had, Jesus, Jesus had to pour more blood out for them than they did for you. The, the, the reality of it is many of our walks with Jesus mirror many of our marriages. And that is the very beginning of it. It was great. It was real. We made all these commitments. We journaled more. Jesus was tangible, just like in a new, a new marriage. People get married, and they're all excited, and they got this smiley face on themselves all the time, just perma-smile, and everything's great. And I know we haven't been married for that long, but God's brought challenges, and it's like, how long has it been? Three days. Um, <laughs> and, and, and they're just excited, right? You know who they are because they sit in front of you, and you're trying to worship the Lord and read the songs, and they're kissing each other and holding, playing with each other's ears and stuff, and it's like, hey, hey, hey. Trying to worship God here, right? My kids are here, <laughs> right? They're, 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 there's this excitement, and then what happens is you, you, you grow, and you grow, and you grow, and life happens, and kids happen, and you grow, and you grow, then money, you need more money, and you're thinking about money, you're thinking about retirement plans, you're thinking about college plans, you're thinking about this, we've got to buy this, this happens, this happens, there's sin in our life, and next thing you know, um, your kids grow up, and your kids leave, and then you're looking at each other, and you're going, who are you? Because way over here, it was real. And I've been with you. You've been around. We played the game. I do love you, but I really don't know you anymore. And, and I think that's how our relationship is with Jesus. That's why oftentimes we talk about what God did, which is amazing, as opposed to what God is doing. Um, this is a relationship. When you have this relationship, you long to see this person. Those of you who know who are married and you go away from your family, you go away from your wife, you travel for a little bit, you long to see them. When I'm away and I travel for whatever reason right now a lot, I play little videos of my, my kids and I will, it doesn't sound weird, but I'll videotape my wife playing with the kids and stuff when they're not watching. Kind of creepy, but I, <laughs> and then I just play it. You know why? Because it does something to my heart when I'm away. It does something to my heart. Like that's my family, that's my wife, and I love them. There's got to be things that we have with our relationship with Jesus that we long to see him. His word that we look and we say, Lord, I long to see you. You know what his word does? It does something in our hearts. It continues to create that longing and that desire to be with him, to know him, to see him face to face. Paul is saying eternity. Don't you know salvation is nearer today than it was when we first believed, meaning it's actually better now. Because when you look at marriages who are thriving that have been married for 25, 35, 40 years, have you ever, you ever sit down or seen a video of a couple? It's amazing. It's the most beautiful thing in the world to see old couples with each other. Because usually you interview them, you talk with them, and the guy's talking about stories that the wife is like, never happened. 
Never happened. Never happened. Right? I don't remember it that way. He goes, oh, I remember listening to this couple talking. He goes, oh, we said, you had nine kids, and you went to war, and you did. That had to be hard. He goes, it really wasn't that hard. His wife turned around and looked at him and was like, get out of here. Right? You know, she's like, they're like 70-something years old. They're like, it was hard because you weren't there. Like, you know, it's like, it was hard. And yet somehow they look at each other, and there's just love there. There's love there. Love that couldn't have just been there when they first got married. And so listen, when we talk about oftentimes we want new believers' faith, if you're a new believer, that's awesome. You should want it because that's where you are. If you've been walking with Christ for a while, you should not want that. Here's why. When you're a young Christian, a new Christian, your sin is this big. You just know just enough to go, I'm simple enough to meet Jesus, and it's amazing to you. The more and more you walk with Jesus, and the more and more you look to his words, and the more and the more the spirits in your life, you realize it's bigger than that. My sin is deeper than that. Man, it keeps getting deeper. But at the same time, his grace continues to get more and higher and bigger and bigger. And the more you walk with Jesus, the more his love and grace gets, and the more you realize, I just can't do it without you, and the bigger the cross gets, the deeper the longer it gets. The longer you're away, the more you're saying, Lord, come soon. It's why I think the Apostle John, when he writes, he's constantly saying, I'm the one who was loved by Jesus. You know, he never calls himself John. When you read his letters, I'm the one who was loved by Jesus. I don't think he was saying Jesus didn't love anybody else. He goes, I just want to be known. I just want, I want my whole life to be known as someone who's loved by Jesus. And the older he gets, he's like, I'm loved by Jesus. And finally, at the very end, when he's almost about to die, at the very end of the Bible, he writes in Revelation, what does John say? Come, Lord, soon. Because to him, he believed that salvation was near. Love and relation to eternity is that we have a longing and desire to live for Jesus. Amen? I want to talk now practically of what that looks like. Jonathan Edwards was a man who lived in our country years ago, known as one of the smartest people in the world. He was a godly man. What he would do is he would meditate on heaven 20 minutes a day. And the reason why he'd meditate on heaven is because he he said he wanted to know what he should be doing today. And the the only way he would know what he should be doing for the day is in light of the future in light of what he knew God was doing. So not only does love call us to love our neighbor, not only does love give us this desire to be in relationship with Jesus and understand eternity. Eternity is something that God is coming to renew all things. But the last part is that love and relationship to godliness, that if we look and understand we've been saved, we're being saved, and ultimately salvation is coming, what does that look for us now? As we live in the tension of both being in Adam and sinners, and yet being in Jesus and saved. What does it look like to be sinner and saint at the same time? What does it look like to have the kingdom of this world in which we live in and brokenness and yet the kingdom of heaven by the power of the Holy Spirit in our life? How do we live in the tension? What ought we to be doing? And it's, it's godliness. In fact, if you read with me verses 13, um, verses 13, excuse me, 12 through, 12 through 14, it says this, the night is far gone and the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual morality, and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. And so love and relationship to godliness. Here's what Paul is saying. He's using the night-day metaphor to say there's a way to live in the kingdom of God and there's a way not to. It's not literally about only do stuff in the daytime and just sleep at nighttime. He's, He's not saying that. In fact, he's using this compare and contrast as he often does. He says, put on something, put off something. Paul uses that language often. And he says, put on the armor of light. 
And the armor there, um, if you've heard that, it's because Paul uses a lot. He uses it in Ephesians chapter 6. He uses it in 1 Thessalonians. He talks about this armor of protection. He says, put on the armor of light, meaning in light of eternity, in light of who you are, loved by God, how ought you to live? And then he says this, walk in the day properly. This is your following of Jesus. This is you being a Christian, okay? If you're a Christian, this is you living like a Christian. It's as simple as that. It's just being someone who loves Jesus and has been known by Jesus, who's been redeemed by Jesus, and you follow Jesus. And here's what he says here as he continues. Um, Verse 13, let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness. First thing that Paul lists here is saying, don't self-medicate. All these are, they're inordinate desires. They're not bad desires, right? Having a drink, is, that's, not the, that's not the issue. It's just that when this life gets hard and this life is rough, that you have an escape that you go to. And maybe yours is not alcohol. Maybe it's pills. Maybe it's the internet and just losing yourself into the internet. Maybe it's, I don't know what it may be for you, but what do you find yourself giving yourself to? And it's not that the desire is bad, it's just it's gone the wrong way. And Paul says this is what happens. He goes, that's not, what, that's not who we are. That's not, that's not who we are as followers of Jesus. That's not what it's going to be like when Jesus comes to return things and returns things to the way it's supposed to be. Well, this list, which, by the way, is not exhaustive, he goes on here, continuing in verse 13, and he says, not in sexual morality and sensuality. Se- sexual morality is just a huge junk to our term of any sexual sin. Anytime you look to this to fulfill the desire that can only be fulfilled by Jesus. This is for married people and this is for non-married people. Immediately, what we, what we naturally go to is this is not sex outside of marriage. I mean, excuse me, this is no having sex outside of marriage. Well, this is, this, is, this is the gamut. Because what we have is we have men and women in our congregation, Christians. I'm not talking about people outside these walls, people in these walls, people like you, people like me. You, you, you say, okay, God doesn't want me to have sex, and so you know what I'll do? I'll, I'll, I'll just kind of skate on the line a little bit. And you end up going further than you want to. Or maybe you don't do that, and maybe your deal is, is the internet, maybe it's pornography, and, and that's a big deal. And I know we talk about it, we talk about it because it's real, and it's, a, it's just in our life. And, and, um, and maybe you think, you know what, I'll just do this now, and this is going to curb my fix until I get married. And once I get married, I'll have sex, and that'll fix it. No, it won't. All you're going to do is get married, and then you'll, you'll keep doing the pattern that you've already started before you're married. These are all patterns that you begin to build in yourself. These are habits. And um, it, it's, it's that... Um, it's, and it's not just guys, it's girls, it's not just, it's, it's fantasies, it's longing for something else, it's, it's, it's this, our world is a very sex-crazed world, you can't go any, you cannot go anywhere, you can't watch a sport game, you can't watch, you can't, they, they sell water, watermelon through sex advertising, I mean, anything that you can want to buy, it's like, an, it's like, there's some, like, sexual deal, and it's like, oh yeah, your soap, um, some sexual deal, oh yeah, deodorant, right? and it's just like anything they can sell because they know sex sells, and it goes to the heart of our sin. Paul says that's not how we ought to live. There's a different ethic of Christians in which we live. Sex is not the problem. It's not. It's God-given desire, but God's given us a context to be able to live that out. The, the third category that Paul says here, um, he says, in quarreling and jealousy. Quarreling and jealousy. This is the ideal of just not liking people, wanting what they have for yourself, it kind of goes back to what we talked about in loving others. It's, 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 it's rejoicing with those who rejoice. But if you can't because they have something that you want, you won't rejoice with them. You know? You'll look at her and be like, oh, she thinks she's all that because she got a husband. Right? And it's like, <laughs> you're jealous. <laughs> and that's why you don't have a husband. Um, and so you keep acting like, no, I'm just playing. It's just, there's, a, there's just a reality of Paul is just going, these are things. And listen, I, these are not an exhaustive list. And we're all in it. 
We're all in this. And so like I said, I wanted to be practical here. When I say we're all in it, we're all in it. Because if you give yourself a pass because you're loving your neighbor and you're, you, I do pretty good here, and then you get to light of eternity, like, yeah, I want Jesus to come back, and then you don't deal with your issue of your heart and, like, longing for godliness, then you, 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 you really are not getting this. What Paul says here is he says in 14 here, it's the next imperative. He says, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. What he's saying is in light of all these sins, and whatever your sin is, whatever your issue may be, we all have them. He says, in light, of, in light of these sins, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. That, that's what we ought to do. He didn't say, first, stop doing all these things and then put on Jesus, right? He, he says, no, we're not supposed to walk in this. Okay, so how do I get out of it? How do I walk in light of eternity? How do, how do I live as a Christian? How do I follow Jesus? Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. There, there's that picture of, like, clothing there. That, that you put, you're putting on something. There's access that you have when you put on these particular clothes. And you go, what is that? Okay, there's a, there's, a, there's a parallel verse to this that I think is helpful for us in John chapter 15. And here's what Jesus says. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Let me pause there for a second. You take your sin, or your sins, whatever they are. If you know, man, I battle with sexual sin, and it's bad. I battle with jealousy and it's bad i battle with envy and it's bad i'm a mom and there's moments where i in my heart i hate my kids i'm afraid to tell anybody else you're not the only one you know what i you know what i wish sometimes i wish that somehow there would be like little captions of what we all were thinking right and we can see it we go you are just as sick as me right <laughs> and it, and everybody would just realize okay they, yep she, i mean because it there's no sin that's uncommon to man it, it, whatever your sin may be, if you find, if you find that I'm just a liar, there, there are some of us, let's be honest, we lie. We never tell the truth. We're afraid, of, we're so afraid of telling the truth because we're, we, we are, we are crippled by human approval. If I tell the truth, they're going to really know me. And the reality of it is I've been lying so much, I don't even know me. And these are not people who are outside the church. These are us. This is me. This is you. Paul, Paul's saying this is walking in, in, in dark. That, that the part of the reason why there seems like there's a distance between your vibrant relationship with Jesus is because a lot of it is because we have sin there that we never deal with. Well, here's what Jesus is saying when he says, put on the Lord. You start here. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Not the Father loves me when you, when you stop doing those things. Not the Father loves me when your attitude, are you kidding me? Those are your kids. He doesn't say that. How could you do that? That's gross. He doesn't say that because he knows the only thing that's ever really going to change our hearts is the love. And look at this. As a father has loved me, do you know how the father loves Jesus? You ever thought of think about that? He loves Jesus just because he's Jesus. Like he's the best dad. Like he's the dad who shows up for all the games and roots for his son even when he's not even playing. Right? He's excited. When Jesus gets baptized, Jesus gets baptized. He's got no testimony. He's never sinned. He's never going to sin. And what does God do? Oh, this is my son. I'm, I'm well pleased. What did he do? He went underneath water. He loves him because he loves him, guys. And Jesus is saying, I'm here, and I've come to this world. I've died for you. I've been raised. I, love, I, I did all this so that the same love that I've had for the Father, I would have for you. Not when you clean yourself up. Not when you, when you, you get accountability. Not, not when your life gets better. Not when you grow. Now, always, in the mist, in the moment. After, before, he goes, I love you. And he says, now here's what I want you to do. Here's what putting on the Lord looks like. Abide in my love. 
If you keep my commandments, meaning if you're obeying, if you're following, and you're walking in godliness, you will abide in my love. Abiding in his love is actually doing what he tells you to do. Abiding in his love is actually obedience. And he says this, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. When Paul says here, put on the Lord, he's saying abide in Jesus. Abide in his love. The only thing that will ever change you is that your affections will be changed for him. The reason why we sin is not because sin is something that we think is just unattractive. No, it's attractive. Our affections are drawn toward it. The way that we obey is not by willpower. It's by seeing another. It's by having a love that's bigger than the love for this world. And that is none other than knowing that we are completely accepted and loved in Jesus. Amen? And so Paul says this, not just put on the Lord. The last thing is here is uh, make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desire. Here's what Paul is saying here. When it says provision, hear me, let me get your eyes. When it says provision, it means don't even, don't, don't make thoughts for it. Don't make plans for it. Don't give away to it. Our issues, guys, as sin, is we let it in our head go around way too long. Jesus says out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. I would say acts and does. All of us. And so you know what that means? It was something someone taught me a long time ago. When I was, I was battling, I was battling. I'm just be just honest with you. When I became a Christian, I thought that there was no way that you could be a Christian. There was, there was no way that I could be a Christian and not have sex before I get married. It was impossible. My whole life was, not my whole life, but basically, that's all I thought about, right? And not in the ways that God wanted it. And this guy helped me and helped me and helped me and helped me and discipled me. That's what he did. He walked along me. And one of the things he said is, you've got to know how to shut your windows. And that's a metaphor, and that metaphor there is going, every single one of us, we have what I call pet sins, right? Many of you guys, and you talk to people who have pets that they don't want, right? Cats and stuff that they don't want, and, and, and their neighbors don't want either. Um, but what do they do? They put out the food, they put out the milk, and the cats keep coming back. They complain about the cats. They say they don't want them. They don't like them. But every once in a while, it's going, I kind of like that little thing. And many of us have sins like that. We have sins, whether they're on this list or not, that we keep around. And the, the window in itself is instead of closing it all the way, we kind of keep it open just in case, just in case one time. Just maybe, you know, it's not too bad. And we got we to gotta shut it. And I don't know what that is for you. Let me just give you some examples. Um, one, one of those things uh, for me, what I found out when I was in that, I needed to go to sleep. I know that sounds weird. I just needed to go to sleep. I got in most of my trouble when I stayed up a little bit later. I had to go to sleep. I had to put my phone in another room because if I got called, if I got text to go out and hang out, I'm there. And so I had to put it away. Um, I talked to another guy recently, and he just going, you know, I realized my struggle with the Internet is I never just go home and watch this stuff. I never go home and just look at pornography. That's not what I'm looking to do. He goes, but every time I at least have one drink and I'm up late. And so for him, he's going like, listen, is it wrong? Is it a sin to be up late? Is it a sin to have a drink? No. But for him, he's going, for me, I can't do that. I need to take my butt to bed. And so he goes to sleep. I don't know what it is for you. For me recently, um, I, I know that I have, the, I have the proclivity from my own heart, and I struggle with human approval. And I love attaboys, but then I hate them. Like one of the, the things I hate is, hey, good pastor, ser- good, good, uh, good pastor sermon, and I'm dyslexic. <laughs> nice sermon, pastor. Oh, oh, no, it was all God. But then like if no one ever said anything, I'm like, oh, they hate me, right? <laughs> and so it's ridiculous, right? It's ridiculous. I'm like a teenage girl. And so... <laughs> I need Jesus. And so what I found with Facebook is because I had Facebook, I had all these friends, right? 
people that I don't know because I'm a pastor and I stand up in front of a thousand people and every time I put something on there, there would be all these likes. And I said, you know what? That's bothering me. It's actually jacking with my heart, so I got rid of it. Right? I'm not telling you to get rid of Facebook. I'm just saying from my heart, I knew what it was doing to me. I was, I was checking Facebook for likes, not to, you know, oh, see my friends, kids who live in different states. It's really good to connect with old. No, it's about me. Guys, we got to close our windows. Don't make any provision, whatever it may be. If there's a so what to this message, understand that as you have been loved, you love your neighbors. Have you been loved? You, you long to see Jesus. Salvation is near. You want to see him. As you've been loved here, as you've been loved, do whatever you can to protect that relationship. Do whatever you can to protect the vibrancy of that relationship. Sin will always get in the way of your relationship with Jesus and others. Sin will always get in the, relation, get in the way of you doing exactly what God's called you to do. So whatever window you need to close, you need to close it. And you need to have the people around you to say, help me close this. I do not want to live in this way. I am loved too much by God. He loves me more than I can love him. And he's given me the opportunity through his grace, through his people, through his word, through his spirit, to be able to live a life of love. Amen? Let's pray.